then I mean, I was 355 when I graduated high school. And then I got on Atkins, which just seemed like there's a different level. Of, what's the next thing that's going to give quick results and be kind of a, oh, this works? This is crazy. Open my eyes to everything. And it was Atkins to lose 130 pounds and going to college. And then that weight kind of came back on, like back and forth, up and down in my 20s. I'll bring this up because when you have amazing success like that, it's hard to unbelieve or to let go of those things. So I kept going back to that same method. Is like, Hi, everyone. My name is Shlomo Salson, youth motivational speaker, host of the podcast Teenage Impact, and the author of the book, Never Fight Alone. And my entire mission is to help you find opportunities in the struggles you're facing today. Today, I have a very special guest with me. I know I haven't done a podcast episode in so long, but today I have Chris Brown. And Chris Brown, he's a transformation coach. We met at a Facebook group and one of the uh, Facebook speaker, authors, and coaches group. And Chris is going to talk about his transformation he lost tons of weight, um, both in his teen years and later on in life. And today he's going to talk about his journey and how he was able to keep that weight off and how you can also transform your life, either financially, personally, or in your health or your finances. So give it up for Chris Brown. How you doing, man? Hey, thanks so much. Good to be here. Very grateful to be present with you and your audience. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to thank you for asking me to come on and be a service. And, uh, your book, your title, what a wonderful, humble title. Mm -hmm. It's empowering to never fight alone. Uh -huh. I mean, in and of itself, it's, it's what we never have to do. Uh, part of me, we always wanted to do something alone and achieve something as like, I did it alone. As a, it, it, that would better in some way than to accept help and Chris speaking about alone I know you did mention I mean we'll go into that story later on where you did live alone uh, senior in high school when your parents moved out but let's talk about your teen years and what you went through in your middle school and high school years so kind of just walk us through what some of your struggles were Absolutely. Uh, so I grew up and my teen years were in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, I lived in uh, suburbia outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Went to a public uh, junior high middle school. And the main struggle was identity, trying to understand like uh, adolescence there going through puberty and that. Uh, becoming a teenager coming of age at 290 pounds was more or less challenging. Like, okay, well, what role do I fill? Um, and I would go on diets. Uh, I would uh, work out. I would just eat, basically eat less and work out more because that's all the advice I was receiving from doctors and from coaches that like football coaches that were kind of grooming myself and my friends um, in terms of we'll spend it in the gym and we'll go work out and 
is don't eat as much as you're eating, work out more. So I wanted to do things at an extreme level. And well, if I eat less and just go hungry, I think that's what skinny people do. And that's what it takes. I was receiving that message loud and clear. And that was the main struggle of, okay, I'll lose weight. And it got to a point in eighth grade where I would be losing my sight. I would be almost blacking out because I wasn't eating enough nutrition and I was exercising. So I was fighting through the feeling of being starved and thinking that was what I needed to do to be a skinny person and to lose that weight. Uh, you mentioned struggle and I have not shared this in quite some time, but I remember being in a football camp in eighth grade and we played shirts and skins. That was, I don't know if that even exists anymore, but um, when you're on the same team in practice to, and there's no jerseys or uh, uh, different colored jerseys, one team takes their shirt off, the other team has their shirt on to differentiate who's playing against who. <laughs> mm -hmm. And somehow I ended up, I've always like successfully, like, okay, I'll be on the shirt side. And I was on the skin side and I, you know, running around with uh, loose skin and uh, a big chest as a, uh, a, a boy, a kid. I mean, it was very shameful experience. And that was a big challenge how, to how go much, through that. I, eighth grade, how much did you weigh? I was... 290 by the summer of uh at the end of eighth grade mm -hmm. how did that affect you besides you know football did it affect your friendships with anyone else or your relationship with your friends or family members affecting the relationship between family it was fine i mean my parents were uh challenged with food and dieting my brother was always on the skinnier more active side with friends, I was outgoing, so it didn't seem to really affect relationships. I perceived it a different way, as if it was a flaw to be overweight or a weakness, something I needed to fix. And if I needed to fix something about me, that means, well, something's not right. Mm -hmm. How did you lose the weight in, when you were younger? When I was younger in that age range from uh, sixth grade to eighth grade. Um, the most success I had in that time, unfortunately, uh -huh. was not healthy. It was eating a lot less. So really cutting calories and, and going hungry, skipping meals uh, to lose 70 pounds in sixth grade. And then again, to lose 40, 50 pounds in eighth grade. That being said, I mean, I went, I was an Eagle Scout and went to a uh, backpacking trip, uh, expedition called Philmont in New Mexico. It's a wonderful place that men and women get to go to. It's, it's, um, it's an adventure camp. And it was like very much an active, uh, challenging place to be where I lost 20 pounds in 10 days. And I ate a lot of food. I bring that up because that actually was healthy. I was, I was very active and I was eating a lot and then I lost 20 pounds. I will mention this, that I was on the scale very frequently back then. So I was trying to control. I thought that's what you had to do is like always monitor your, mm -hmm. your weight and be on the scale all throughout the day. That's just the, the practice that I 
began and, and thought I needed to do to be successful. In high school, did you try to shut off that weight or did you just kind of let it be at that point? It was, uh, it was definitely fluctuating. Um, mm -hmm. My weight was very volatile in high school because with emotions, with challenges, I would eat more, eat less. So we had alcohol in like midway through and partying and the coming of age, being able to drive and this newfound power and responsibility. It just, I did try to lose weight and I, I tried new methods, uh, new coaching, excuse me, new uh, coaches that were like wrestling coaches. And I was just open. I thought I was open. I'm like, I'll try anything. And uh, that was the first time I had like protein shakes or the idea of eating three meals and three shakes. Uh, the company back then was metrics. I mean, this is like, seemed like the pioneering age of protein shakes in the nineties, but it was like, powder in a box that tasted like powder in a box type of thing. It wasn't good. And it wasn't like, yeah, this is working, but I don't think I had anything that was long-term in terms of successful weight loss. And uh, by the end of high school, you mentioned this earlier where I was living in an apartment by myself, partying every weekend and kind of eating what I wanted. It, I mean, it really was not a healthy way to, to exist. Uh, I ate so much at the cafeteria and then didn't eat again until I got home at like four o'clock. I, I couldn't even put a number on it. Shlomo, I mean, as far as it seemed like I was consuming probably three or 4,000 calories just for lunch at, uh, at school. Where was your transformation? Like at what point? Well, the current transformation that's been sustainable began when I was 29 uh, to 30. It was this point of, yeah, I mean, I was 355 when I graduated high school. And then I got on Atkins, which just seemed like there's a different level. Of, what's the next thing that's going to give quick results and be kind of a, oh, this works? This is crazy. Open my eyes to everything. And it was Atkins to lose 130 pounds and going to college. And then that weight kind of came back on, like back and forth, up and down in my 20s. I'll bring this up because when you have amazing success like that, it's hard to unbelieve or to let go of those things. So I kept going back to that same method is like, that's the way if I could only go back to what was working all the while it wasn't working because it led me back. It wasn't addressing the core beliefs or what, what I know today um, have been addressed to actually sustain the weight and sustain this new way of life. So, so the Atkins your question by 20 The Atkins work or did not work? It, it worked initially for initially. 130 pounds. And for the next four years, I kept trying it uh -huh. and trying it and Slowly but surely, I gained all the way back by the end of college. I was back up over 320, 330. Mm -hmm. So tell us when you were 29, when that lasting change came about. At age 29, I was 430 pounds. And just in this deep, dark depression of I could not get below 400 pounds no matter what. And I was fortunate and spared or a friend spotted a 
and mark on my shoulder. I thought it was cosmetic, some sort of warts or something that needed to be removed. And I believed what he said to go get it checked out. And I got it checked out and the dermatologist said, that's coming off today, come back. And I was like, okay. And they did the test and it was melanoma. And my non-reaction to that was motivation enough for me to say, this is, this has got to change. Something's got to happen and it's got to happen now. I have to ask for help. I have to do something I've never done before. And I envisioned my funeral as the only outcome, the way I was going. So, I mean, I didn't feel bad about it. It just felt right. And I saw my parents, I saw my brother, I saw my friends and felt their emotions. I felt their reaction to me passing away at that early age. And that pain helped me reach out for help and seek a counselor, a therapist who's licensed. And it slowly but surely helped me commit to a weekly session with her. And a year later, getting more help, right? Uh, losing the uh, first hundred pounds and then becoming a personal trainer. Wow. And with that support, it was like, I have so much support. So much, I mean, not only that, but I was communicating in an open way with my friends. Whereas before I was trying to control and manage my image with them and not really open up and be vulnerable. I'm like, I'm a man. I mean, there was years slow-mo where I didn't even cry. It felt like, I was so guarded in college and I, I, I don't cry. I'm a man type thing. And mm-hmm. I can't be open. I can't vulner- be vulnerable with other men, with um, the guys in my fraternity, or I need to project strength. And it was all in my head because being open actually gave me peace, that honesty, brought power into my life in terms of me being authentic as this genuine person that can cry or that can actually be vulnerable and say, you know, I have made mistakes or I'm imperfect and I can be a trusted person if you wanted to talk or if you wanted to open up and need some help or need someone to listen one day. And my friends started seeing that and all of these layers of healing energies came about and all of these people came out of the woodwork that were more open and thankful and sending me good vibes and sending me love and it just began to snowball where it was wonderful at the same time I was open to still have pain I could feel and be present with emotions and learn more about myself than I had ever learned up until that age because it was all blocked. Does that make sense? Yes. I remember, I mean, I remember when I was in college, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up the whole opening up thing. I remember there was one situation, I was just going through a rough time, you know, a lot of different emotions at the time. I think I was 19 years old or something like that. And I cried in front of my friends and they all made fun of me. And then like, after that, I just, you know, I, I made this image in my head that I should never show my emotion to other people. So I kept it in for so long. But then later on in life, 
you know, my mid twenties to my late twenties, I realized that, Hey, that's not someone just because you're a man doesn't mean men don't have emotions. In fact, I realized that the men that keep their emotions in are the ones who are depressed, anxious. Some of them may have suicidal thoughts. Some of them just like a second away from just going crazy or like bursting out the anger. So, you know, I'm glad you brought up that you should open up because a true friend or a true loved one will try to understand you no matter what and not judge you for it. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. It, you, by sharing that, it, it, it reminds me of mm-hmm. kind of being a teenager and living, like for me, I was living through movies and through pop culture. And when we actually can connect and live through each other, like as you and I are now in an open conversation, we are energizing our lives. There's power that's flowing into us and we're actually, we're living our life. Like that connection is energizing in itself. Whereas isolation or maybe just living life in a consumer fashion of receiving the social media or receiving the the movie, which may have emotions or have someone else's energetic art form, that's okay. But when we get to actually engage in our own exchange, our own real connection, we can actually live life and explore ourselves. You know, in any type of change, whether you are trying to lose weight, whether you are trying to make money, whether you are trying to improve your relationships, what kind of beliefs about yourself did you have to get rid of in order to make that change? That, you know, Jay Shetty says it perfectly. And, you know, I listen to Jay Shetty a lot. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he says, you know, later on in life, instead of trying to learn new things, he realized that he has to unlearn a lot of things that he was made to believe when he was younger. So what type of things did you have to unlearn? At first I had to be open. Really, I had to be open-minded. Like, okay, is there, is there something I could learn? Is there something about me um, that I can learn? Am I miserable? Am I, am I satisfied with the way my life's going in terms of the money that you mentioned, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, career, relationships, or my health? And then the unlearned side is really going to be a belief where – I think that the main thing for me that I uncovered with mentors and uh, people in a tribe that were going through a similar process in terms of personal development and exploring that was the idea that I'm not good enough, which I came to find out that millions of people have that same belief or have that reoccurring belief in different forms. And that's one of the main ones is I may come up in forms of shame or imposter syndrome when we're successful and something within us says you're not good enough, we need to bring ourselves back down to something that's comfortable. But ultimately what I was finding is when I would lose weight and I'd be achieving a level of success in weight or income or status or what I thought were very valuable things in terms of owning my own business, sports car, luxury, high-rise living, all those things, 
And that didn't jive well with my belief that I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm a failure, the same thing. I mean, those same tune, um, I have to crash down to be in line and be comfortable. So I have to self-sabotage. So unlearning and letting go of this belief that I'm not good enough. I mean, that's, it's one of the most wonderful gifts of freedom, peace. Um, and it's a self-loving thing that didn't just happen. Like, oh, I identified it. Okay, well, cool. Let's go on to the next thing. It's an entire segue, a spiritual practice that I've been cultivating for the last 10 years that uh, with spiritual mentors, with tribes, and ultimately getting out of myself and being of service to other people mm -hmm. and being humble, knowing that I'm not doing this alone and I don't have to. I, I need help. I need someone's objective feedback to help me remove that belief or to be okay with it, to heal it in some way and to replace it with the empowering beliefs that are, I'm always good enough. I don't have to do anything externally to become good enough. I'm worthy right now. All of the things that come up after that can be so energizing. Uh, it is really, it's a powerful thing so I want to experience that good enough feeling and that content feeling um, when I wake up and to know that's true before I proceed with my day. So you would suggest for anyone that's listening, like, because a lot of people suffer from the problem, I'm not good enough, like you said, but tribes help. So how can someone get into a tribe and have coaches when they don't have money? I was very broke and <laughs> didn't have money when uh -huh. I uh, got with a tribe. I mean, for me, and I will open up, was a level of addiction and recovery. Those communities are by all means free. Mm -hmm. Fellowships, whether it's uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, uh, Overuse Anonymous, all of those things that can help. Uh, if you're in college, counselors usually are part of your curriculum or tuition, or a in high school, thinking the coaches and certain teachers that I could really um, reach out to and open up with. Boy Scouts was one of my mediums that I went. I mean, looked at upperclassmen in the Boy Scout program at the time, getting them service in the communities. I'm thinking of uh, programs that are available like Lift for Life, or mm -hmm. gyms that, that's here in St. Louis. But um, I would Google Big Brother, Big Sister, those type programs that are uplifting. That um, if you don't have anyone, I mean, the Google side, libraries, getting in, into action and finding finding your thing, your niche, your where you have a like-minded community. If people are into basketball or if they're into hiking or outdoors. You can find and explore groups that are free. A meet group is one. Now, Facebook groups are all free. If you want to explore some more like-minded people in Facebook groups, whether it's hiking, snowboarding, I'm listing activities that I'm into, but like <laughs> things that maybe it's a book club. I mean, there are book clubs yeah. for men. There's definitely book clubs for women. There's WhatsApp. Now there's Clubhouse where you can actually go on and just 
I mean, talk vocal is just all voices, <laughs> but yeah. there are free mediums everywhere from social media on to interact in person, and uh-huh. you can find them. That's so true. And then, you know, you touch base on you finally putting that weight off how you needed some help. You went to a therapist, um, opened up to some of your loved ones. But what was your process like after that? What did you exactly do step by step? Once I believed that I was doing this and it was going to happen, I mean, coming up with the motivation, it was my obsession of my life. Like, I'm going to lose weight. Like, the working out, the nutrition, all of that was kind of a formality. I mean, the how was just a an after note. And that's many different hows. There's ample things I know can be possibility overwhelmed. Like, tell me what to do. But I was 30 when I did it. And I was 400 pounds. Like, I actually ate 10 calories per pound to start. That was something I didn't want to do. I mean, it sounded very counterintuitive to have 4,000 calories, healthy calories to lose weight. And I lost hundred pounds doing that. Uh, but back to the belief and just I visualized, I mean, I remember being on the treadmill one time at 400 pounds and I started thinking about being 240 and what that would feel like what that would look like, how I would do that, walking up to the scale next to the drinking fountain in the gym, mm-hmm. and it would say 240. And I was just, I mean, head to toe, I'm feeling it. And I'm like, I'm there. And I'm thinking a life worth lived, living. And I'm closing my eyes. And I'm so there in the moment. And I'm walking on the treadmill with my eyes closed that I actually fell off the treadmill because I was like so into the visualization of being 240 mm-hmm. that I didn't realize what point in the treadmill I was on. I was like, uh those things were more powerful as far as the process, the believing I was there and already experiencing and feeling that I was there than actual how or the, the exercise and the mm-hmm. nutrition. I mean, that was a challenge later, but looking back, if I didn't believe it was going to happen, it was really just conjecture or just, you know, the, the how the, and the calories and the fitness, that stuff would just be like throwing pebbles at a boulder flying down the hill type of thing. But eventually it got to the point where I had a spiritual journey and an inner peace where I could actually maintain the weight, which was six years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And a mentor at that time said, Hey, what does a successful month of weight loss look like for you? And so I'm at this point, I had lost weight my entire life. So I always thought I was going to be losing weight or losing body fat or losing something to be successful or to be a metric of success in terms of physical health. And I said, well, uh, two, two pounds, you know, and I had gone through a real spiritual journey with him that year in, in 15. I was like, two pounds a month, and I'm six one. And he's like, okay, so two pounds a month for... 12 months. That's how does that look? And I was like, Whoa, that's 24 pounds. And I was at 190 when he asked me this. So it hit me between the eyes. I was like 24 pounds. Like I would be 166 at six one. And I could already see my collarbone and I could already see, I mean, I was already pretty defined and it just 
was scary because for the first time in my life at age 35, I was going to have to let go of this belief that in order for me to be okay and on the right track, I had to be losing weight. So that conversation led to, whoa, I'm going to go through some uncomfortable change here of accepting and maintaining the weight that I'm at and developing some new beliefs and unlearning this idea that I've held for a lifetime that I have to lose weight. I have to be losing weight to be okay. So what are your new, new beliefs? There's wonderful new beliefs that are, I'm okay the way I am. The two most powerful words in the English language have been said to be I am and everything that follows. Well, I am loving. I am worthy. I am enough. Those beliefs are empowering. I am here to contribute. I am of impact. I enrich and enhance the lives of others. Those things, they're hard to say and not feel pretty amazing after saying them. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Now, what, uh, what yeah. is... I mean, that's a total inspiration because, I mean, change is hard. I mean, I think, I, I don't know if you've read the book, Power of Habit, but yes. he, he brings up a lot of good points on, you know, a lot of times we try to change our habit, but we try to make drastic changes and we change for a little bit and then go back to what we were before, but it takes not only small steps, but what we believe about those steps that's really going to make a drastic change eventually in the long run. And that's something we should all strive for is not short-term change, but long-term change. But, you know, a couple last questions. How can someone make long-lasting change? To make long-lasting change, we begin from within. If it's an external change, or we see it as an external change, as in a um, what I do every day, or, or we have to begin from within and why that change is important, what we'd like to create in our lives, who would we like to be when that change is a reality every day, what our life looks like. Uh, to create that lasting change, I like to begin from a year in the future with a, uh, a client or with anyone and say, you know, can you see that future self? If it's 50 pounds down or a hundred pounds down, whatever it may be, when you are at your healthiest dream body, where the clothes are fitting on you perfectly and you look amazing. When you wake up that day and you're changed in every way possible, your dream self, your dream life, when you see yourself in the mirror, what are the first things you do that day? Who are you that day? How are you? What does that day look like? Like that creates this entire tangible, real experience that can be lasting and feeling and recreating and leaning into that as in a real emotion, a real experience of vision. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful empowering place to start on lasting change. Mm -hmm. it's hard to 
to unexperience such a vision when we're there. Do you have any last tips for teens right now going through a tough time or anyone who's having a difficult time with their weight or maybe their confidence? Any last tips for them? Absolutely. Uh, I didn't do anything alone. You do not have to do anything alone. And it's no different than receiving help and being okay with where you're at is part of the process. Mm-hmm. Pen to paper, journaling, doing something that makes you feel light and energy and brings joy to your life. Um, that actually helps other people. That is fun. Uh, may not be any kind of altering substance, but a natural fun and joy. Those things, looking back, are things I would have actually like to do a lot more of and multiply things that were beneficial in terms of hiking a mountain and getting to the top of it and saying, wow, this is possible. Mm -hmm. And even helping other people along the way, because as as you're looking back, someone else is going to be right where you're going to be. Think how amazing it can be to help that person get to where you are and feel that same amazing feeling. joining other people as part of a team, as part of a collective connection process is living because we're never really alone. We may experience loneliness, but once we know that we can always connect and then we're all so connected, we're never alone. Mm-hmm. Never fight alone. That's right. <laughs> and I end every interview with this one question my entire podcast, my entire brand, my, my speeches at different schools and organizations, I talk about resiliency and what someone could do to build resiliency. What does resiliency mean to you? Love it. Resiliency means facing challenges, facing adversity is part of the process, accepting and welcoming those uncomfortable things. Not liking them in the moment, but knowing that they're part of the process and they're actually going to be better to go through. It feeds upon success. It feeds upon resiliency. Um, To me, that means getting knocked down, getting back up, or knowing that an off day and off feeling, feeling tired, and then going out and doing that thing that you don't want to do will lead to energy. Um, in the short term, it would be more draining to not do it and to do something that's easier. But to do that easier thing and to bow out will actually cost you in the long run. Mm-hmm. I actually watched a video and someone was asking uh, someone that was older and he, he said, what's one thing you can change about your childhood? And he said, I would do the things that were more difficult because taking the easier route will actually hurt you in the long run. Exactly what you said. So um, what a coincidence. Yeah. It's like uh, when you say that, I'm thinking like how many, I really would have wished I would have learned how to meal prep as a kid and not done fast food so often. (laughs) Chris, where where can people find you? Yes, I'm at... 
my hashtag or my uh, Instagram handle. I have all my links there, which is success by action. Mm-hmm. You can find me there and apply or schedule a call. That's success by action. S U C C E S S B Y A C T O I O N. And um, look forward to connecting you there. Mm-hmm. And for anyone that's tuning in for the first time, if you haven't done so, go ahead, check out my book, Never Fight Alone. Follow me on Instagram as well at Shlomo Solson. Everything will be in the description of the podcast. And Chris, thank you so much. Do you have any last words? Thank you. Ah, thank you, brother. Gratitude for you and yours. And to everyone listening, never fight alone. Thanks. Peace.